Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 9. So Season 1 started back in 2017, many years ago. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, there was a lot that was different then. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice and general partner of Project Voice Capital Partners. Thrilled to have a fantastic panel of guests joining me on the show. Dr. Alimu, I'm going to start with you. Take a moment. Tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Good morning, everybody. I'm Yared Alamu, founder and CEO of TQ Intelligence. Um, I'm a psychologist by training, uh, but the last several years I've been uh, focusing on voice. So we do take about a 15 to 45 second voice sample uh, and quantify the severity of uh, emotional behavioral disorders uh, with children, adolescent, uh, up to age 18. Excellent. Yeah, no, and it's, uh, is it your second time on the show? I think it is. First time. It's your first? Okay. Well, then maybe, uh, maybe we had a near miss. Dr. Alimu, I'm proud to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Next up, we have Christoph Essinger of Vui Agency. Christoph, say hello. Hi, Bradley. Hi to everyone. First of all, Bradley, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, I'm really glad to be part of the show. I've been following it for quite some time, and um, it's really it's really cool to be here. I'm founder and uh, managing director of Vui Agency which is one of the largest specialized design agencies in Europe, which is specialized on conversational AI. And basically the vision that we put for our company and how we try to create value for our clients is create AI that people love to interact with. So our vision is what we call a charismatic AI. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that already here in the first part, like, you know, about the use of AI and emotions and you know using psychology. This is very relevant to, to what we do as well. Great to have you on the show and appreciate all the work that y'all do. And uh, next up, we have Enric Plana of M47 Labs. So hopefully I said all of that right. Enric, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Uh, thanks, Brad, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, yeah, my name is Enric. I'm, I'm the CEO and co-founder of uh, M47 Labs. Uh, Spanish-based company uh, that kicked off uh, five years ago, and we basically provide AI uh, engineering services, uh, mostly starting providing international um, adaptation of NLP models um, that led us to build our own data notation platform two years ago. Uh, so we are kind of like a in the intersection between the service AI company and the product company. Uh, uh, we provide uh, a SaaS uh tools and frameworks to develop not only data sets and 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 large language models but we also provide uh, customization for specific ai tools uh and solutions and Excellent. it's happy to be here yeah glad to have you and uh last but not least nori deroga of code baby nori great to see you take a moment tell us who you are tell us about code baby thank you bradley and very happy to be here and uh be part of this uh show today uh, I'm president of Codebaby. Uh, Codebaby is a company that's a combination of two companies. Uh, one that was started in 2001 and focused on animation. And the second one that I founded uh, 10 years ago that focused on AI, voice, and uh, 
NLU, NLP. So where we are today is uh, we have a tool set that we allow our customers to build experiences that uh, focus on humanizing that experience with the virtual agent. So it is, uh, I call it a human interface where you've got the face, which is probably one of our first experiences when we're born, we see a face, a human face, and and that's what we learn how to talk to. So uh, that's what we focus on, a lot of psychology, sociology, but uh, elements about uh, animation, choice of words, uh, what it looks like, the appearance, all of that goes into making that experience uh, more of a pleasing or charismatic experience, I guess, in many ways. So thank you again for having me here. Glad you're here. Glad all four of you are here. And uh, it's going to be a fun season. So we took, as we always do, take the summer off. And now we're back and, and looking forward to a great fall and winter season of the show, talking about the news of the week, not just in voice, uh, despite the name, uh, all of conversational AI. And I want to start with, um, right off the bat, ChatGPT. And I'm going to read these two headlines out loud uh, for these two stories. The first one is, OpenAI launches ChatGPT Enterprise, the company's biggest announcement since ChatGPT's debut, and that's from CNBC. And then the other story is from MIT Technology Review, which we often will cite on this show, how one elite university is approaching ChatGPT this school year. And if I could get MIT Technology Review to stop putting a bunch of pop-ups on my screen, that would be nice. So... <laughs> Um, you know, this it's in many ways we head into the season of this show like we like it was back in 2017, 2018, when the conversation then was dominated by behemoths as well, Amazon, uh, Alexa, and Google Assistant. Uh, now it's a behemoth again, it's just a different one. And the question I want to put to the panel, and I'm going to go in the same order as we did the intros, and then I'll reverse it as we go go along in the show. Um the question, and then Dr. Lima, I'm going to start with you, is um, with ChatGPT, the, the biggest thing I want to know is what do you think when you hear or think about ChatGPT? Think about how unprecedented it is that we have the same technology being talked about as one of the biggest stories in enterprise, in corporate America today, and that that same technology, that same exact company, is also the biggest story in education. So it's crazy. It's hard to think about what would be a parallel to this. I, I don't even know what it would be. Um, but for this brief flickering moment in time, ChatGPT is all things to all people. We got four business leaders on the show. Which one of these articles, or what you take away from either one of these articles, or both, or neither? But primarily, when you hear the word ChatGPT and you think about ChatGPT, where does your mind go? Overexposed, overrated tool, mission critical tool, pioneer. Talk to me. Um. Yeah, that's that's a good question, uh, Bradley. It's um, um, I'm I'm open to it. I used it. I was working on a project uh, the other day that has to do with like a grant, uh, and 
and I use the paid version. Um, it's been very helpful. Um, uh, but you know, uh, at the same time, in 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 my profession, um, uh, it's not ready for prime time, right? So it's not ready for, for you know for for psychologists to use it. For example, for diagnosis, and you can get some good information from there. Are they still have a whole bunch of errors that that you know when you're trying to decide. You know, you want to do this versus something else um, because somebody else's life is on the line, right? Uh, we got a long way to go. Uh, so, so it's a you know, it's for me, just kind of quiet down the hype, right? It's not a you know, um, it, it it's a really really you know interesting um, innovation, and and we you know there is more to come, but you know it's just a. Um, you know, I get a little bit tired of the hype and it's just, you know, um, but meaning there's already a number of work that's been done. For example, there's a large comparison between chat GPT and primary care providers. And people reported um, feeling chat GPT being more um, empathetic uh, than their primary care physicians. Um, and chat GPT was more accurate than the primary care physician, right? So, uh, but that's one study, right? So, so we don't really know the context of how that happens, and you know, there's a lot of kind of agitated grumbling, you know, primary care physicians that you know um, they're not really that personable. <laughs> so I don't know how much of uh, you know this thing is kind of controlled, and the comparison are directly between a provider versus ChatGPT or so. Uh, but I mean, again, I, you know, um, I was hesitant you know initially uh and 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 it's you know I, I mean i was in ethiopia for um a couple of times the last six months and um uh, and there was you know uh there's a guy that i know was doing a seminar uh on chat gpt uh trying to see how people can be able to leverage it uh so <clears throat> so yeah so that's you know that's uh so you're cognizant of of the revolutionary nature of it but in terms of specific product market fit to your line of work it's it it leaves some room to yeah. grow yeah. uh no that's that's great christoph coming to you with the same question what if anything stood out to you the most of these two articles but more generally speaking from a mental image point of view you hear the word you know word association you hear chat gpt what comes to mind mm -hmm. So to, to be honest, for my line of work, which is about um, helping companies to employ AI to create value, it, it cannot even be underestimated in terms of the value it creates. So I, I don't believe uh, in my line of work, it's, it's not overhyped. So the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, this was one of, part of one of these articles, why did it have this stunning rate of adoption, right? 100 million users, I think, within two months, within the fastest fastest rate ever ever recorded for a consumer-facing uh, product. Um, so this will only happen if a product has a huge benefit or solves huge pain points. Now, what are the pain points that are solved by this um, by these large language models that you know most people are struggling with? Is write a mail based on the following bullet points. Give me an outline of a presentation on the following bullet points. You know, that that are tasks that took us massive amounts of time in the past, and they're they're you know like they're done now within seconds. At least we get an idea of what we you know like it gives us a good idea of what we can do. 
Um, so it, it helps us, you know, for example, with, with things that a lot of people are struggling with, like, you know, formulating an email. So you have an idea what you want to say, but the struggle is how you put it in words, right? Um, and so the benefit is so massively big that uh, the, the launch of ChatGPT Enterprise had to be expected, you know, because in the end, uh, to be honest, um, companies will have to jump on these enterprise solutions because the risk is going to be too big that um, people will just still use it despite, dis despite uh, um, you know, um, preventions and, and so on because the, the productivity enhancing effect is too big. You cannot stop it, right? So better you take an enterprise solution that takes care of data privacy and so on. You know, that's that's the thing I'm taking from this uh, from this first article about you know like ChatGPT Enterprise. The second one about the you know like for example the effects in in, in education. I think what was very good about this one is that um, um, the the person in in Yale who was responsible for it, right, and responsible for how do, how do you deal with this this technology, said we want to work with it, not against it. Again, I think that's the way to go because it will come anyway. The, the, the productivity enhancing effect is too big. You you know, like uh, you cannot you cannot prevent people from uh, from using. They will do it. Um, so um, it is. And but there's one very important point about this article that uh, that also this um, that it made was um, we have to educate students of the benefit of still learning, for example, how to write a text yourself. And then using this tool, because to be very honest, the way that we can use it now is because we have been educated to write text ourselves. That's why we're amazed by it. That's we can work with it. That's why we can work with it with its output. You know, and this is something I found very interesting about this article, saying like you know you have to educate people about its proper use, and I think that's the way to go. This is also a big debate we have here in Europe. You know, my opinion is always the, the you know like. The task of the state is only to provide the right framework and then let people use their creativity within that framework. You know, and you have to allow people also to make mistakes. We also don't forbid people to smoke. We don't forbid people to drink, you know. Um, but we, you know, of course we have to intervene where like, you know, my freedom intervenes into your freedom, right? That's that's the point where the frame has to come in. But other than that, you have to let people use their creativity with these with these things. Well, that's 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 the crux of the debate, isn't it? Is how how far you're going to let somebody take ChatGPT before you say you know no more? And I think that you know you you got to allow like from an educational point of view, you got to allow them to use it, but also like make it clear no, it's not just your decision to learn. It's you you're you're going to not plagiarize other people. So you know there's there's a fine line that we're still trying to figure out. I think your your comments are are right on. And it's interesting just to hear from your business's point of view. ChatGPT mission critical uh, definitely lives up to the hype uh, and and is doing so on a daily basis. Enric, I'm coming to you. Same question. Um, what if anything stood out from these two articles, one or, or both? Uh, and um, you know, from a more general point of view. As you hear ChatGPT and ruminate on it, what does it mean to you? Um, okay, so so I'm I'm totally on the board of uh, still keeping the hype uh, and, and kind of like change a little bit uh, the paradigm of what we do as an AI service company. Uh, the way we used to work and develop projects like uh, three years ago, it was kind of like a, a really crafted manual process. Uh, 
that was kind of like preventing uh, a really steady and speedy innovation. And what ChatGPT has done for us is to open up the door uh, to explore a, a lot of like a different options and, and development solutions that uh, were not thinkable uh, uh, just a year ago. Uh, so from a, from an enterprise point of view, uh, there's still a long way to go. So like news like uh, all the security features, privacy, speed uh, uh, that are mentioned on the, on the article are really good. Um, but I think that uh, those are like a really steps in the in the right direction. And for us, uh, we see a lot of potential. It's still not uh, fully re realized. Um, um, but you know, like uh, we think uh, we will have to leave uh, with these tools as automate and 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 provide like a a, a completely different framework uh, than we used to have uh, for 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 general. Uh, Purpose uh, and reference into the second article. Uh, I, I think the the impact is is huge, and I think there has already been a transformation in education in the last uh, few years. But I think uh, ChatGPT and large language models are speeding up a little bit the transformation on how the educational systems are working. Uh, uh, we kind of like a, coming from uh, a system where uh, we were uh, learning. Uh, by repetition, we're learning by memorization. Um, internet change uh, things a lot, uh, but having all the information, a bunch of like uh, conclusions in our fingertips, uh, keeps changing things uh, way faster. So, so I think I think it's a it, it's a great thing to a great tool to integrate with an education system. I think I think the education system has to uh, also evolve uh, and move. Uh, from from a different paradigm and 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 focus more on uh, the key aspects uh, for people to deal with this uh, type of of uh, tools: so, you know, communication, reason, uh, critical thinking. Um, how you actually uh, evaluate the students should be actually redefined really uh, uh, as as we used to do in the past. So for me, uh, it's really uh, positive, a huge impact. Obviously, obviously, uh, we might make might talk a little bit later about regulation uh, of AI and how it's being used in the enterprise world, but also like in education. Uh, but I think that uh, this technology has to be accepted, adopted, and and integrated in in our digital life. So I hear a lot echoed in your your response, as, as I heard from Christoph. Like it's basically an immovable object at this point. So you might as well figure out how to acclimate yourself to it and. Yeah, you talk about learning through repetitive actions. You know, you, there's some people who the repetitive action is I go to ChatGPT and they do my first homework assignment, and I go to ChatGPT and they do my second homework assignment, and I go to ChatGPT and they do my third one, and that's that's a repetitive action uh, as opposed to you know something else. I think that what we're seeing, you know, some of here in the United States is it's kind of this this bifurcation of educational outcomes where essentially the lazy get lazier you know, like the, the bad outcomes get worse, not to totally be flippant about it, but it's like, you know, if you were having trouble with education already, ChatGPT is not going to help you. In fact, it has a lot of potential to make your education way worse. But if you were getting a lot out of your education already, then here's ChatGPT and it's going to make you smarter and more creative and it's going to challenge you and it's going to augment you and all those things to where that you're better than you ever been. Super interesting. I, I appreciate your comments on uh, all of that. And Nori, I want to give you the last word on these two pieces here. 
Same question for you. Which one, if either one of them stood out to you, what stood out maybe in one or both of these pieces? And more generally speaking, where does your mind go uh, with respect to you and Code Baby uh, when you think about ChatGPT? Thanks, Bradley. Uh, we think of it as a fabulous tool. So we build tools to create these experiences so our customers can make, make those experiences themselves. Uh, as, as a product, productivity tool, it's been pretty amazing for us. Now, keep in mind, OpenAI has been around a long time. ChatGPT is on its fourth version. So it's not like this. It just opened itself up to the world. But for some people, it's been waiting in the background to be used. And many of the things that we do today, we probably couldn't do efficiently or in a timely manner if it wasn't for ChatGPT. But uh, the two articles that you picked were very interesting to me from, from this perspective. Uh, enterprise is a um, uh, long time coming because if you're going to use ChatGPT, uh, you, you need to have the privacy. You need to be able to know that the content that you're loading is not going to be available to uh, the general population. And that's what enterprise does. But that's a huge step. So a lot, lot of our clients who are in regulated industries, fintech or, or you know, healthcare, um, it's very important that that content not be available and uh, you can use it still to train that GPT. So that article was, was very interesting to me. And the second one with uh, the Yale University, uh, and I started my education 50 years ago with the slide rule. And it's not that I use it, I'm, you know, in my first engineering job, uh, uh, they told me, you know, why don't you use a calculator? <laughs> so, and I said, I can do these things in my head. And they said, well, soon, you know, you need to use something that's, that's a little computer. You know? So uh, the tools are there. And uh, I think one of the interesting parts of that article was, if you're going to cheat, you're going to cheat. You're going to figure out a way to cheat. And there's going to be a reason that kind of led you to that. So if we try to solve for the reasons why somebody is cheating, because they're stuck in a, you know, in a situation where uh, they're not able to perform. We should figure out why they're not able to perform rather than, oh, well, chat GPT is bad because it allows you to cheat. So I think those are the types of things that those two articles really triggered for me. And, uh, you know, uh, in, in healthcare, for example, what we're trying to do is build out a personal coach. ChatGPT allows us to take private content, ChatGPT content, and create a conversation with an avatar that, you know, you can have a 15-minute conversation. Um, if somebody is isolated, somebody is, uh, uh, you know, the elderly population living on their own, uh, these are types of use cases that really make a lot of sense. So that's where I'm at. Excellent. Uh, no, appreciate those comments. And Christoph, uh, you, you got a comment? Fire away. Yeah, so I was I was just um, I like very much Nori what what you said right now and and um, I was actually thinking about what you said, uh, Bradley. Um, are like you know are bad students really getting worse? You know, using using it, and um, maybe this is you know uh, this is my my special disposition. I I always believe in the in the best of people. So in in this case, I actually believe you know like in the end you learn by example. 
So if you use it to do your homework, you actually over time you you know like um, you're producing texts that are you know like that are in that have quality level that you were not expecting from yourself before, and it might turn out that in the exam when you don't can, when you cannot use it anymore, you're still writing texts that are much better than what you have would have written without it. So for me, it's not clear cut that um, it's gonna like you know it's it's gonna lead to this bifurcation. Even if you, you know, like if you, if you, if you use it, like coming from a point, as Nori said, as a point from a point of uh, need, you know, because until now you were not so good, or you know, you. Well, I think everyone would like to believe that. I mean, I think that in some situations, it it is probably true what you're saying. Like, ChatGPT maybe shows up and you weren't that good of a student or maybe not that good of a writer or maybe just not that smart to begin with or you weren't exposed to different resources that other people had access to or name the scenario and you know chat gpt is able to sort of elevate you you know your your plane of thinking is kind of what i hear you saying like you have access to what is essentially the amalgamation of 100,000 of the best writers you know, maybe in existence with how the training data works and how ChatGPT pulls synthesizes its own writing. So maybe you you know it washes over you and you're better off. Yeah, no, I think there's an argument for that potentially for sure, depending on how you use it. Uh, however, in the United States, I you know I can certainly speak from experience. We have people who duck the system their whole high school career, and they get they have a high school diploma and they don't know how to read. So, and that's not an exaggeration in, in, in any way. So they managed to duck and, you know, uh, avoid uh, doing any sort of assignment and they end up uh, drastically worse off. Um, so, yeah, I, I think time will tell, you know, I think there's reasons to to be optimistic about it, just strictly educational. And then from an enterprise point of view, I think it's fascinating to hear what the four of y'all had to say about that. I. I think we need to take this moment for what it is before we move on to the next set of stories. Back when we were discussing Alexa and every one of these shows started off with a story about Alexa, there was never the thought that it would ever be any different, right? There was never a thought that we would get to a point in time where a show like this would not open up with Alexa or, you know, Alexa is not going to be dominating the media headlines, dominating Amazon sales, dominant, captivating our society. And uh, yeah, we got to a point where it kind of fell off. Um, ChatGPT is not going to be this bright sun for us forever. And the question is going to be what's next and where do we go? And what, and, and how do we take this evolutionary step and a step upward and where does that leave us so look i think the comments are excellent it's just great to hear what y'all said and to sort of memorialize that nori go ahead i think one aspect that uh is really important is how or what purpose you use chat gpt for so as the good doctor said if you're sitting down trying to do research if you're trying to you will get a lot of errors and uh information that is not accurate but if you're interested in putting together the story and you provide the right prompts and you provide the environment around what you're asking chat GBT, you will get a very superior product. So I think that, you know, as a consumer product, it's really hard because consumers are going to just use it without perhaps proper training themselves. But from an enterprise level, from a company level, 
uh, once you start learning how to do that, you can truly utilize uh, that power and put guardrails around it so that, you know, you don't have this, oh, well, this is nonsense. And I think if you understand what you're using, just like any other tool, I mean, Right now, I'm in Florence, Italy. You know, you sit down and think about somebody who's carving marble. If that tool, you know, you give it to me, that piece of marble is not going to look very good. But, you know, here's the land of Michelangelo. So I think uh, that's an important piece of it, too. Well said. Eric, Dr. Alimu, want to give either of you a chance to opine before we move on? Um, I think this is, this technology is different than any previous technologies that there is something about you know building something that is a hundred a thousand percent more smarter than the smarter person right uh, and there you know there the benefit and there are ramifications that uh, you build some tools on the top of you know these large language models you have a <clears throat> something that is interacting with a human being that have multiple um, more IQ scores. So one use case is that it can improve, you know, productivity. But you know, we don't have to get bogged down by these some of the stuff that we used to do. Now we have free up space and time and being able to do more. But there are some use cases that have some downsides, right? I mean, we you know still kind of trying to figure out how to use social media, right? We as human beings, I don't think we're fully prepared to use social media, right? And and there are you know, consequences uh, to that, that that we're dealing with, whether you're in a democratic country or not, there is, and so you have to multiply that, right? So, so it's, you know, you, you can, you know, these tools is not just, you know, in focus on attention, they create, they can create this level of intimacy, right? This relationship was, was, was this AI tool. Uh, you can use it for something great, but you can also do some damage on that. <laughs> you do, well, you we're going to be talking about the downsides all in just a minute. Enric, uh, any last word on this before we move on? Uh, yeah, just just one quick comment here. And 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 as, as we mentioned, this is kind of like a, a tool. And and I see this uh, first step, like a large language model was introduced like a 12, 16 months ago. And 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 now if I don't think the the functionality right now. Uh, uh, is what's concerning it's uh, uh, the things that we will be able to do uh, in five, ten years from now. Uh, I think the potential is is extremely high. Uh, we just kind of like uh, using these as general models without being fine tuned to speak sectors, uh, specific uh, industries. Uh, I, I think if we actually see the impact it can have in healthcare, in education, and in, in business in general, uh, five five years down the road, uh, it, it's impressive uh, to think what things can uh, be achieved, you know, like bad things and good, especially good things, but also like a, a, a hormone things for, 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 for us. Well said. Yeah, that, that's uh, very well said. That's a good place to leave, leave that. And I want to shift gears to, uh, to maybe some of the downside. I'm going to read both of these headlines out loud um, for our second stories uh, for the show from New York Post. Trump accused of using AI or an impersonator for interview with Real America's voice. Okay, and then the second story is uh, so many so many pop-ups. <laughs> the second story is from WESH uh, NBC. 
channel two uh, from wherever this is. DeSantis PAC uses AI generated Trump voice in campaign ad. So I'm going to go in the reverse order of what we did, uh, the intros for this. And Nor so Nori, I'm going to start with you. Um, as long as I've been doing this show, we've had stories about impersonation and uh, just, uh, I guess, generally like negative usages of, in, you know, whether it's voice AI, whether it's text, chat, what, how, using natural language to impersonate and confuse and obfuscate. When are we going to be done with this? Like, first of all, the Trump the, the Trump interview that that article is referring to, in my mind, was definitely doctored. So I don't know what the deal with that was. No one does, but something really bizarre was going on with this. But we we've got you know DeSantis sitting there, and it really doesn't matter whether it's Republicans, Democrats, or liberals, conservatives. We're, we're going to see in politics these tools coming out of conversational AI being weaponized against opponents for all sorts of reasons. My question is for you, and I'm, I want to ask all four of you this. Right now, we've got all of these ethics, regulatory, policymaking, guidance type of things going on re locally, regionally, nationally, here in the United States, internationally. What in your mind is the singular most important thing for policymaking or regulation around conversational AI to do? All right, Bradley, I'm actually very fortunate to be in Florence because both of those articles were blocked on my computer and I was not able to read them. Sorry, so. <laughs> you're not missing a lot. Uh, trust so me. I'm not missing a lot, but I understand the topic and I understand the, uh, you know, where, we, where we're headed with that. Uh, I look at it uh, in terms of uh, uh, some of the same issues exist with uh, intellectual property, with the ability to use somebody else's uh, work product and in a way create your own work product and is that a fair use of something that uh, you're using AI for uh, or uh, you know there are many different ways to weaponize AI as as we've already talked about the downside is uh, you can get people who are very smart at uh, creating the illusion of uh, reality when actually you know it is completely artificial so how do you sort through those? I mean, it's very hard to figure out a painting. It's very hard to figure out uh, prose, text, things like that. So, but then when it starts coming to misinformation, when it starts coming to creating a world order that's different than, you know, uh, perhaps what other people who are trying to get, you know, uh, as you mentioned, it doesn't matter whether, what, what side of the aisle you're on. Uh, it's a weapon that can be used to, create an outcome that's different. Uh, that's where uh, learning how to you know, provide ethical boundaries, learning how to provide uh, guidance in terms of uh, how do you use this. Uh, all of that's great, but you know, the minute the computer was created, the first hacker was born, right? So, uh, and the minute that uh, you found that you could uh, prey on elderly people and get their money using technology, you know, it became an industry. So this is going to be very hard to, you know, quote unquote, police. But all of us mentioned this is 
unstoppable. It's already out. It's it's going to happen. So how do we figure as a society? Uh, and you know, we we know that uh, social media created a lot of problems that originally nobody really thought about, but you know, it did. So uh, you know, how how do we place guardrails on this? How do we place boundaries? It's uh, way above my pay grade. So, you know, but really this, I'd be interested in hearing the comments. Oh, I don't think it's above your pay grade at all. And, you know, but I, I think I like your comments and, you know, you think about like these articles, like our hyper politicized environment here in the United States, should Joe Biden be allowed to take a synthesis, a synthetic voice tool and replicate Donald Trump's voice to say, heinous things about insert topic here no absolutely not and neither in the other way wouldn't be true either there's got to be some common ground and you were kind of speaking to that and i I appreciated uh, your point of view enric i'm coming to you same question what is this you know there's some stories here that sort of ruminate on u.s politics but the bottom line is what is the singular most important regulatory or policy making thing that we can do to get this abuse under control, uh, yeah, that's interesting topic, and 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 I and I and I believe it gets uh, uh, more news because of the harmful and and really behavior that can that can create. Uh, I cannot actually see these from different angles. Uh, one is from from uh, the technological side of things, uh, where uh, companies are starting to have uh, ethics committees. Uh, uh, that uh, help out define the process to build the large language models, uh, making sure that they have a, a data that are not biased, uh, you know, text, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, even some companies actually, I, I believe OpenAI developed a um, uh, text AI detection tool, but they needed to uh, take it down because it was failing most of the, of the time. Uh, so uh, something can be done from an ethical perspective from building the model so they are uh, less harmful can be used in a, in a uh, less damaging way, uh, but I think the other way and that regulation, the larger experience is 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 the way to go, uh, so that uh, we don't prevent uh, innovation in large language models. And and in Europe, uh, they we actually acted uh, pretty fast in releasing the AI uh, European Act, and and I believe like UK also like uh, was pretty fast in in, in launching the first. Uh, few uh, parameters or the framework on not how to build uh, the AI and LMs, but uh, how the usage that they can be, uh, how they can be used, and and I think that's kind of like the the single most complex point on uh, how you define a framework where everyone acknowledges the the, the proper and the bad use of of this technology and and how you enforce uh, this type of uh, a regulation, and, and and I believe like a kind of like a uh, an example that happened like a few years ago where uh, there was a bunch of like a harassment uh, in Twitter. Um, people was uh, running over people uh, left and right. Still happening, uh, but a lot of like a country's passed legislation where this could be uh, proof of producy uh, and, and, and people could actually be judged uh, for this type of, of, of behaviors. So I believe we are, uh, or the way to go is, is, is leading towards uh, a framework where um, 
good by uses of LLMs, AI in general, are, are properly defined. And there's an agreement not only within countries, but like a, a, across uh, uh, countries and, and online. Uh, but but it's a typical challenge to solve. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I like that. So I like the way that you, you frame that. And, and Christoph, I'm coming to you. Same question. Interesting stories here, but bottom line is what's the single most important thing from a policymaking or regulatory point of view in your mind to help get this abuse uh, under control? I mean, this is a question that um, we confront very often, right? Because when you talk about charismatic AI, it's about using AI also to, to develop relationships between brands and people, right? And yes, here we have to be careful because we should not create AI that is manipulative, you know, that manipulates people into doing something, for example, that they would not want to do. Now, me personally, the definition of charisma that also we follow as a company is based on uh, um, based on a great book that I would recommend to read to anyone who's interested in the topic of charisma. It's by Olivia Fox Cabane, The Charisma Myth. And she basically defines charisma as being based on three pillars, the pillar of power, pillar of presence, and the pillar of warmth. So, you know, like we, over all our history, we have been drawn to people that radiate an element of power that convinces us, yes, they can do something for us. They, they have the presence so that it arrives at us, but at the same time, they have this element of warmth that we perceive as they want the best for us. So like wanting the best for the other person, you know? And for a company, this means um, only in my eyes, only if you use AI to the best benefit of your customer, you will succeed in the long run. So if you think about, for example, an area like conversational commerce, how do you build a sustainable long-term sales relationship? You, know? you can't cheat your customer into buying something they don't need once, maybe twice, but then you will lose them forever. Right. So to some degree, market forces will actually also enforce an ethical use of AI, at least in the space in which I'm working. I'd like to think so. Yeah, uh, I think I think we all hope that that's the case. Uh, I think that regulation will be needed, but hopefully it's not needed as much as it kind of feels like, you know, hopefully the pendulum starts to swing back the other way. I appreciate your comments on that. And Dr. Alimu, I'm coming to you. Same question. Uh, interesting stories here, but ultimately what's the most important thing we can do from a regulatory policymaking framework to curtail some of these abuses? Um, Christoph is um, much more... Um optimistic about human nature than I think. <laughs> so I'm uh, more <clears throat> I'm Freudian by training. And so there's, you know, um, um, there is an aspect of us that is fundamentally problematic <laughs> and uh, uh, doesn't really um, struggle, will continue to struggle to manage what to do with power, what to do with access, what to do with privilege. Right? Um, so, so the, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity. This is, you know, again, this is not like any other. There is, you know, we, 30 years from now, right? Um, I don't know what my kid's going to be doing, 
if you if you ask to predict, you know, what are the jobs of the, you know, next 15, 20 years, I don't think we know uh, precisely because of AI, right? Um, but you know, there is you know, there's something about our our nature uh, that that these tools could go haywire, right? And and being able to have that kind of power and that kind of access, we you know we we failed over and over again, <laughs> and and using that um, for the betterment of you know uh, human beings. Right? This is even worse than the nuclear power because it, 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 the power of you know um, having that level of knowledge, being able to you know if I can you know, the manipulation is already here, right? I mean, it's like, I'll kind of tell you what you need to know so you can buy the stuff from me, okay? Whether this is that you need it, whether this is something that is not even what it's supposed to be. So so all those things that are kind of, you know, happening at some uh, some level is going to be even more intense, right? So so it's, a. Uh, um, I think we need to understand the magnitude of the changes, the, both the positive and the negative, right? I mean, this have a potential to undo, you know, these communities, the democratic communities that we care about, right? I'm not, a, you know, if you're living, you know, somewhere in China or uh, in some parts of Africa that there's no democracy, and then someone is going to tell you what to say and what to do. So I'm not really worried about this. I'm talking about these democratic societies that rely on uh, good information, right? Rely on some facts to be able to kind of build these institutions. We are developing tools that could potentially, right, and undo that. So I don't know what policy will get in the middle of, right, power and money versus information, right? Because somebody else's buying information is somebody else's private school tuition. And so, um, so that's you know, as much as I'm excited about. I mean, you have, you know, you can be able to do the kind of things in healthcare that we were not able to do five years ago, right? especially in places that are shortages of providers, but right? you can be able to use the ones already in the ground. You can train them in a way and, you know, give them the right tools so they can be able to provide this. So, I mean, I see all that, right? But I also get really concerned about that, that we have failed over and over again, right? Being able to judiciously use power. And this is like, unlike any other power, this is not like, you know, Computers and calls. This is completely different, right? And in because of you know how powerful it is and and how it could be used uh, for for some nefarious pur purposes. And that's what you're talking about here. It's like you, you know, this is like amateurish. Like we, this, this is going to have to multiply this by multiple, right? As we go further. Um. So so that's my concern. Well, so the, no, that's good. So a nice sort of set of divergent views on this topic and i think that's right i think that's uh emblematic of of if you were to line up a thousand people and ask them about this uh whether working in technology or not you get a lot of different views and i think that we captured that here i want to take the last five minutes uh or, or four minutes as it were and um and i want to to uh read story number three and i'm going to ask for a quick response this is from LAD Bible. Uh, I don't think we've used this source before, but like a popular culture site. Dad shocked as son uses Alexa to order a hot tub and nearly 1,000 pounds worth of toys. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, 
what I want to get from y'all, just uh, I'm looking for a numerical answer only to close us out. Okay, and I'm going to go in the order of the original intros uh, and, and we'll wrap up. So Dr. Lima, I'm going to start with you, then Christoph, then Enric, and then Nori. Um, give me a number from zero to 10 on the relevance of the Amazon Alexa ecosystem today. Zero being none, none at all, it, it doesn't register, to 10 being drop dead mission critical for my business or for society at large. Uh, and I'll get a number from all four of you and we'll wrap up. What, what's your number? Say about five. Okay, Christoph, what's your number? I would say three. Okay, Enric? I would say two. Okay, and Nori? I've never used Alexa, so I'll say probably zero. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there it is. There it is. And I, I think that um, Alexa is going to have a second chapter. I've talked about that. Um, I think that it's not done. I think there's too many smart people, too much money involved. But for the moment, isn't it interesting how, and again, back in 2017, 2018, you never would have predicted it, that there'd be something else, not Alexa, but something else we'd be talking about. And Alexa would be relegated to joke status within a show like this, with an article like that. And that's being the most relevant news. I actually had to search for that. Uh, it, it didn't, you know, it, it, there wasn't an immediate choice of an article uh, to reference. So interesting times. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking the time to share your opinions, your expertise uh, with not just me, but the audience as well. It's very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You very much. Everybody. Thanks, for everyone. This weekend, yeah, thank, thanks all of you. For This weekend Voice, Season 9, Episode 1. Thank you for listening on your podcast provider of choice, watching if you're watching us on YouTube. Until next time.